1: Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, sticky filmmaker and podcast person. And joining us tonight, he is a director of *Yellow Brick Road*, *We Go On*, *The Witch in the Window*, and *The Hot Off the Presses* from *The Harbinger*. It's Andy Mitten. Andy, good evening.
2: Hey, thank you guys for having
0: me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for doing this. This is this is amazing. And yeah, yeah, and congratulations for just rapping. You've still got that's a rap ringing in your ears.
2: Oh my God. Yeah, I'm still. It's still not absorbed. I've actually made it back uh, <laughs> alive. <laughs> <But> yes. <laughs> thank you. So, Andy, your film choice for the evening, and also, yeah,
1: just before we, like, uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to address you guys separately. I might have to go with uh, surnames.
0: Okay, if you want to go with surnames, sure, <laughs>
1: sure. Possibly a little bit drill sergeanty, but yeah, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, uh, but Andy Minton, uh, your film selection for today is uh, Maximum Overdrive.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I've set myself up for it, haven't I? A yes. little. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what was what was the reasoning behind this decision? Well, for me, it, it's like I'm definitely a Stephen King admirer. Mm. Uh, more so, he's a hero to me, but. I, I think part of what interests me about Stephen King is there's this duality. Like he's he's responsible for some of the most sophisticated, uh, thoughtful, thematic horror, you know, in the in the lexicon. He's and he's mm. also got this like little boy in him who's responsible <laughs> for some of the most ridiculous things we have in horror. There's something about him having both those things that the, when he got the chance to direct, it was that side of him that came out to meet the moment. Was like we, <laughs> you know, he he wanted to like blow up trucks and 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 have this very sort of um, like regressive 12 year old boy experience I think directing a movie is how it feels like to me and that's when I met the movie like I saw the trailer before I saw the movie and the trailer Mm -hmm. was extremely deceptive Mm -hmm. it used like John Carpenter music instead of ACDC it had (laughs) Stephen King himself looking at the screen saying I'm going to scare the hell out of you and I believed him I was at the right age. <laughs> and what I actually saw it, it, it although it initially disappointed what I, for like what I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I just, I, it's like a warm blanket of like nostalgic craziness for me that, that I can't help but love. I can't help but love that this crazy thing got made. And it's one of those just sort of enigmas of, of, of the horror, really the horror comedy world that, um, I don't know. I, it makes me feel good to watch it. I think it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, and I know that it's not <laughs> like an amazing <laughs> film. But I, I, there are things that are defendable about it, and I'm here to defend them. Mm. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a <script. laughs>
1: Um Andy, Stewart. I'm guessing that uh, you have a longer history with this film than I do, as is traditional.
0: Well, I'm going to guess that you just finished watching it. I did just finish watching it for the first time, yeah. So even if I had only just watched it, earlier today like I did, I would still have a longer history with Maximum <laughs> Overdrive than you do. But no, I, I think I probably saw it when I was about maybe 10, 11, 12, similar kind of age to, to Andy, and I didn't really have a massive frame of reference. I didn't see this this trailer where Stephen King was telling me it was the most frightening thing in the world, because you when Stephen King tells you that, you kind of have to believe him. Uh, so I think I would have been suckered into that. So I I didn't really go into it with any expectations. I saw some cool cover art in a video shop like I always did. And I rented it and I didn't really have any kind of preconceptions. I hadn't read the short story from Night Shift. I, I didn't really know what I was getting into beyond the fact that the box was like Music by ACDC, it's trucks, but they're they're untethered, they do their own thing. And I was just like, yeah, fine. And what I got was a holy goofy action movie that it's it's just a super daft action film that isn't going
1: to scare the hell out of anyone. No, (laughs) I suppose not. Andy, we make everyone that comes on the show do one thing, um, which is for the benefit of anyone that is listening that has not seen the film in question. Andy Stewart, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? We do much pain, yes. Andy, I'm going to count you in in a sec, and we're going to look for you to give us your best 30-second synopsis on Maximum Overdrive. How are you feeling?
2: Oh, God. All right, I'm down. <laughs> let's let's try it.
1: Okay. Three, two, one, go.
2: Okay, the Earth is caught in the tail of a comet, and strange shit starts going down on Earth when uh, the machines start to come alive, and have minds of their own and turn on people. And we experienced this um, uh, in the setting of a a truck stop in North Carolina, where a bunch of um, sort of unruly characters, they're all unruly, even if they're good or they're bad, uh our sort time. of time uh hell oh no <laughs> that was 30. yeah i saw oh my that God. coming a mile away andy that that you got awfully yeah. bogged
1: down in characterization
2: comets and everything it's total fail <laughs> i gotta recover
1: it's that first it's that first 10 pages syndrome when people are synopsizing man I
2: got, like, all right you know i'll bounce back i'm I do? sure
1: i'm sure now Stephen King seems to have a bit of a fractious relationship with this film um, <laughs> in that um, I just I was reading up a, a little bit about uh, how he kind of views it retrospectively and he did mm-hmm. say that it came out as being a direct quote um, a moron movie and uh, he said that the lesson from it was that he wasn't going to direct again which I think is interesting that like the lesson that he took from it was if at first you don't succeed immediately stop <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that
0: he uh, also was asked one time why he hasn't directed again since Maximum Overdrive and he said the answer is uh, go and watch Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> which I is really great. Yeah, but yeah, he, he, I mean, I think it's fair to say that this film was made at a bad time in Stephen King's life where he was in the depths of a pretty heavy cocaine addiction to the point that he, by his own admission, had no fucking idea what he was doing on this film. I,
2: I think, think that's part of the fun of this movie. I mean, <laughs> there are books he feels that way about. too. I don't think he remembers writing the Tommyknockers. I remember reading that same period of time. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, I think it was a movie that in terms of the director, Stephen King, like he knows was made in spite of him, which is part of, like, that. the ways that gets on the screen is part of what creates this kind of amazingly bad, but there's also you can feel the good people you know Dino De, La- De Laurentiis putting the Italian crew behind him you can feel like at least I watch it and I'm like there's a good production designer here there's a good DP like there there are good shots like the truck stop for a set they built looks awesome
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah apparently
0: like people just kept pulling off the road and trying to come in and buy stuff oh really <laughs> and they had to eventually put an advert in the paper saying look if you're going past this place, don't stop. It's a film set. We can't <laughs> offer you any kind of fuel at all or any kind of hot
2: food or beverage. Yeah, we might blow up your truck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this film opens with an awful lot of text on the screen with a lot of... Um, it's, like, it's, uh, it's fairly detail-orientated mm-hmm. in that we have a specified date in June of 1987 where uh, the Earth enters the tail of a comet called Rhea M uh which sci- scientists predict and i love that it says predict that it'll stay there for eight days five hours 29 minutes and 23 seconds it's like what's your ballpark number it's like oh eight days five hours 29 minutes and 23 seconds <laughs> And yeah, we uh, our action, our story begins in uh, Wilmington, New Carolina. Now, what I think is funny about this at the start, and um, this isn't this isn't a criticism. It's just something that I thought was kind of amusing, is that like obviously what we go on to understand is that electronics and vehicles and machines are turning sentient and attacking mankind. Yes, I love the fact that they don't obviously don't immediately turn to murderous rage because the first thing that you see happening here is a guy getting verbally abused by an ATM. A guy. So is I like the fact Steven that it's like an esca- uh, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. Of course it is. But, um, <laughs> I like the fact that it's obviously like an escalating pattern of aggression. Like it was almost like they started out irate and then got murderous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I kind of like how this film starts. I like that it goes from the kind of text on the screen, and that is your entire backstory to this. That's all the background you need. There's no other build-up. And then the very next shot is a bank saying, fuck you. Like it's, <laughs> it's preposterous and to have then Stephen King out of his mind with his flip visor sunglasses on uh, being called an asshole by an
2: ATM is just wonderful it is it's an act of humility right at the top <laughs> I think he's like he's calling himself out before the thing begins and looking in the camera basically and, and letting you know he's a little bit of an asshole for doing this <laughs> <laughs> I like the opening a lot I like the the ACDC is a little bit I mean, it's, it's a choice that makes the film very distinct, mm-hmm. and I'll give it that. And then I also think, did AC/DC just sort of, like, isolate a bunch of guitar tracks from their albums, like, uh, um, <laughs> and
1: send it out? Apparently, like, um, yeah, because I was curious about this as well. Apparently, uh, it's just, like, the AC/DC album Who Made Who just became the soundtrack to this.
2: Yeah, pretty much. It sounded like they were able to, like, take some vocals out here and there or just, just do the guitar or... I mean, but it didn't feel like a, a exactly a front-footed effort on the part of ACDC, we'll say that. No,
0: apparently uh, <laughs> what I read was that Stephen King had approached them and said, look, I'm a massive fan of yours, I'm going to do something really weird right now and sing an entire obscure song from your first album at you while you stand there and watch <laughs> me. And then hope that you will, one, give me all your songs, and two, be in the film and they said, well, look, we're not actors, so take the songs, do do what you want. So that's why it's all ACDC all the time. It really is.
1: <laughs> it, re- re- it really is. Um, uh, oh, except
0: AC/DC. for except for when it briefly becomes Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, of course. That's right. Or King of the Road played on an that's ice cream right. truck music box. I also
1: like the fact that ACDC aren't in the film, but the first kind of like proper set piece that we see um with the machines attacking mankind is on the suspension bridge that gets kind of stuck halfway open and uh acdc may not be in it but acdc is just printed on the side of a van <laughs> yeah.
0: yes i think that was maybe the the compromise <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but uh when i i really like this set piece though i think mm. that like i, I think that th- this is like suitably chaotic and for some reason i found the uh abundance of smashed watermelons really funny as well <laughs>
2: There's yeah, one, like the watermelons. Yeah, like there's one too.
0: guy who's like, he's like stuck in a massive pile of watermelons and he just, he's trying to crawl away, but he can't get any purchase because he's, his hands are all slippy and watermelon. And watermelons are just like smashing through car windows. Like the most of the carnage is watermelon based, except for that one guy who kind of falls off his motorbike and he has the most hilarious howling yelp as he falls <laughs> into, the, like, into the,
2: the river below. It's like a goofy yell from yeah. the old Mickey Mouse cartoons. It's the same. It's like it's the same yell. But it's true the water like the the bridge coming up uh, uh, unexpectedly wasn't enough conflict apparently a watermelon conflict needed to be added mm-hmm. to make that fly somehow. But I I do appreciate it and there's good like people being ejected from cars mm. dramatically is uh it, it's it it definitely I I definitely know that to a lot of the people on the set, this felt like a dangerous set, um, and and, uh, and and indeed, what his DP lost an eye on this set. What? So, yeah, mm. we yeah. The, so the the lawn maybe I'm jumping ahead, but the Sorry. lawnmower, the lawnmower scene, the the lawnmower hit a film like a camera support, like a wooden support, and a bunch of wooden splinters went up and uh, and, and got in his DP's eye, and he lost his right eye wow sued, he sued stephen king for many millions of dollars wow
1: i had no like, oh, i obviously had no idea jesus christ
2: it's horrible <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's really If i'm like imagining that happening on like the set that i just left like i would carry that around with me for the rest of my life it's not quite john landis horrible but it's bad no like <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that's like the apex of uh terrible things that happen on a film
2: set yes
1: after this, like after this episode, we meet Emilio Estevez here as uh, Bill Robinson, yeah. And I will endeavor to refer to him as Bill Robinson rather than Emilio Estevez for the tradition here. Um, who works at the Dixie Boy truck stop, which we are going to spend most of our time at. Now, I knew very little about this going in, I didn't expect it to be quite such a one location claustrophobic thing, but I thought this was kind of cool. What I do think is interesting though is that. There are an awful lot of characters in this. And by the end, they felt like I knew almost nothing about any of them.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They're uh, they're mostly foils. But it is true also that they're not, like, no one is, the morality is definitely at the center of this because clearly the machines end up with, like, moral opinions about people uh, and how they treat them. But, like, even the good people are, like, supposed to be kind of rebels and outcasts, although... Bill Robinson is the least rebel name ever applied to a rebellious character. Yeah, Yeah. would would have been cooler to me if he just used his own name. Totally, yeah. Anything's cooler than Bill Robinson. It's a strange, it's a strange choice there. But I do kind of love Emilio Estevez, just like laid back at the center of this movie, holding it down. Yeah, Yeah. his eyes are extremely glassy
0: as well. I don't really want to cast aspersions on. I noticed that too. Yeah, but the first yeah. time you see him, I was like, oh, 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 I've seen those eyes before.
2: Yeah, I had the same thought.
1: Um, I had literally glassy eyed written down as well. Now, what I do think about this is that the the kind of like set pieces at the start or the kind of the machines attacking humans thing, you see so much of it in such rapid succession that I almost feel like some of the effectiveness maybe gets a little bit watered down because it all happens so fast.
2: Yeah. I think that I think that's definitely. I mean, it continues to deliver uh, explosions, and you know there 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 are little bursts of uh, of unexpected violence, but it mm. certainly doesn't it uh, it doesn't hold on to its tension or its surprises anyway. <laughs> it was also extremely heavily cut to even
0: get yeah. like an R rating. I think it was there's was a massive list of things that got cut out. It's just really like, extensions of various gore gags and, like, stuff that was maybe just slightly beyond the pale. Apparently, famously, George A. Romero, who was on the set all the time, by the way, and was, like, for a long time considered to maybe have directed a fair chunk of it, uh, he said that it made him feel physically sick when he watched the first edit. Really?
1: See, that's kind of interesting to me, and that kind of tracks, because I had written down, it's a fair bit later on, that it kind of occurred to me, but given the actual body count in this film, I don't think that it is a particularly gory film. No, but if you
0: go if you go into the IMDb and like, there's like a whole big massive list of like three seconds removed here of someone's head busting and uh, a couple of seconds removed when the kid gets run over with a steamroller, like when mm-hmm. his head explodes, like there's like a whole bunch of really cool gore gags that have been chopped out and presumably lost to time beyond photographs and little snippets and trailers and stuff like that.
2: Huh, that's too bad. Interesting. The, the little eager getting run over by the steamroller is still effective, let's face it. That's still ballsy. Hard that's, agree. Like, mm. That's that that surprises me every time I see it for sure.
0: Mitch, um, uh you what you'll learn, Andy, is when we get to that but you'll learn that Mitch loves when kids get killed in films.
1: <laughs> now hear me out on this i know that that sounds bad <laughs> out of context <laughs> but what i mean by that is that i think that a film offering a child is a firm statement of intent and once you know that everyone is expendable
2: absolutely no yeah. I, I that's one of the first things that struck me like about pet cemetery or something you know mm. like i i yeah you know they mean business and it creates a tightrope act a little bit because yes. like you have to treat that well like you can't you can't fuck that up or it's going to be ugly but if you pull it off yeah it's badass, I have to agree.
1: That was very vindicating, Andy. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like a, like a whole bunch of stuff happens in rapid succession here. Um, uh, Duncan Keller, a driver for the Happy Toys company, gets sprayed in the eye with a diesel. Yeah. A waitress called Wanda June is attacked by an electric knife. <laughs> um, there's a guy that's electrocuted by an arcade game, and I'm not going to pretend that I spotted it in the moment, but um, when I was reading back, that that is a... Giancarlo Esposito, uh, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh
2: my god, I did not catch that. That's so funny.
0: Yeah. Also somewhere in this film is a character called Woman 2, who is played by Marla Maples, the ex-wife of Donald Trump. Oh my
2: god, but we yeah. don't know where she is.
0: No, no, I, I didn't... I, I didn't crawl back in the hope of finding her but i, I mean <laughs> she could just as easily be the woman with her head caught in the car window at the end she could be i don't know someone she could
2: be a pair of legs sticking out a bush that, that would be appropriate I, if she was the if she was the car window woman with the wedding ring mm-hmm Let's yeah. just pretend that's what it is.
1: I mean, like, yeah. I, I think also, like, I don't think that I would have benefited from going back through looking for her because I definitely couldn't pick out Marla Maples circa 1986 from a lineup. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that's a, that's a compliment to you and all of us that we can't. So it's good.
1: The like you, you you talked a second ago, Andy, about the fact that um at the little league game that we cut to, um the 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 kid is run over by the roller, which which I agree is. Super, super effective. I also think that the coach getting killed by the <laughs> cans of juice shooting out of the machine is probably one of the kills that I think works best because it starts with this kind of like, you know, that kind of like man getting hit by football from The Simpsons kind of hilarity. Oh, and it hits him in dick. Yeah, that's like the first one. And then uh, and everyone starts kind of laughing at him and then it gets really horrific. And then by the end, when you see him kind of like lying there with all the kind of like head injuries and stuff, I think it's really quite harrowing and quite cool.
2: Mm. It does go really fast from like a ball punch to like brains coming out of someone's head. It's true.
1: <laughs> but right after this, when, that, uh, like
0: when all the kids kind of scarper, the, the, the film then, it's round right about here that the film really starts to kind of, try to show things as if they have a real malevolence about them because it's like, it's shown you this vending machine's almost its mouth with these cans firing out it and they're trying so hard to make it look menacing. But there's a thing that happens here and it's a question I have kind of throughout the film. Like The kid that gets run over by the steamroller, he's kind of ejected off his bike. Now, is, are we to believe that that was an accident or is that also related to this event? Because the bike's not like electric and then you see
2: a bunch of people later who appear to have been strangled by wires yeah you've entered a level of logic that's not going to fare well <laughs> 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 there's, i mean yeah there's not a lot that makes a lot i mean i think there are things that don't make sense for the right reasons obviously like the, there are cars and boats and tons of machines that don't come alive or do any of these things and it's like yeah That stuff is fine. And then there are mistakes that are like they just made in the shooting of the movie where the physics of things don't work or or like they they probably shot the close up before the wide and they couldn't get things to match up in the cuts. And that that stuff ends up being, you know, inadvertently funny.
1: Yeah, I would say that 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 sounds right to me. More now. A char- like, we get introduced to these characters at this point that are going to become kind of main players but i don't actually know and i could be wrong with this if we actually hear their names the entire time through that couple the kind of older couple who are arguing when we first meet them in the car
0: Do you mean connie and Curtis?
1: no not that that not they kind of not the newlyweds um newly smith and that the, the other couple i think one of them's a bible salesman
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got, uh, I, I've just got him written as Bible salesman. I didn't have an actual name for him. But the woman is Brett, who immediately, uncontrollably, falls in love with Amelia West of it. Yes, she does.
2: Yes, none of these events stop the horniness oh my God. of our characters. Really, any of the characters. They all just get kind of turned on by what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily the root cause of the horniness. I don't know. They all, like, if you if you look at it, I mean that's something that struck out to me in rewatching it. Was like they there's a scene where they're all like being held hostage and the trucks are circling and everyone is like the newlyweds are like necking in the corner and then he gets to kind of become a badass and join Emilia estevez like everyone seems to be like having a good time for a little while yeah
0: like there's bits where people are just like they're all standing outside like firing bazookas and hooting and hollering and drinking beers like there seems to be quite yeah. the party atmosphere
2: yeah it's going kind of it's working in their favor for a while i think, I think <laughs> these people are like they're i mean that that made amelio estevez and and brett like they have this trajectory over the course of like a few hours of going from like a <laughs> hot and heavy like couple that just met to like a like a familiar like married couple but i mean they're like deeply in love all of a sudden by mm-hmm. the end of this movie
1: they they do give off a vibe that they've been together for a long time by the end
0: also mitch i noticed we've got this far but you haven't mentioned pat hingle here as baba the owner of this establishment.
1: Yeah. And we and we established it this we establish around here as well that um he's kind of like milking some bonus free labor out of um Bill. Amelia Recevez, because he's on parole, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Also I noticed on the time cards when they're like putting the you know, the the machine that you have to like click your time card in.
2: One of the, the employees presumably of this place is called Gene Pool. Yes, I noticed this too. And then and my first thought about that was what like what a dad joke to slip in there as a sight gag. And then I learned that it's there because a dolly grip on the show was actually named Gene Poole. Oh. Oh. And he pulled someone out of the way of a truck during production. So they put his name on the time card. You never see that coming.
1: No. no. It's
2: a real name of a real person on their crew.
1: That's <laughs> a, a real hero. An actual hero. <laughs> there you go. But... Yeah, some main players kind of showing up at this point because, yeah, newlyweds Connie and Curtis.
2: Mm. Ugh.
1: Yardley right. Smith here is borderline
0: unbearable.
2: Yeah, Yardley Smith is doing... It's uh, <laughs> just playing the screechiest, like... It, it, it's a it's a very thankless role for a very talented woman. That's uh, Yeah,
1: that's a good way of putting that, I would say.
2: Yeah, it's strange because, like, she changes not at all and then he gets this whole character arc. I mean he changed he he turns from this like softy like at the beginning to like gradually joining the the sort of badass you know emilio estevez world and, and coming into his own and yeah. she just keeps reaching.
0: he's the kind of guy who like by the end of it one of his shirt sleeves is ripped off and he's got like a bandage yeah. around his head yeah <laughs> like, he's, he's gone full john mclean by the end but I, yeah true. i i i have a real hard time here with the character of connie And I know that Yardley Smith does as well. She's not a fan of this film
1: at all. And Andy, you did say that, like, you know, um, Curtis gets this kind of arc while she stays uh, largely the same all the way through. I mean, like, people who haven't seen this don't know exactly how literally... That is true. Like there is a like because she literally like she kind of maintains this high baseline of relentless nagging. Like mm-hmm. when, when I, and when I say relentless, like basically any time she's on screen, she just talks the entire time, and it's always kind of like needling him. But at one point, when later on, not to jump ahead too far, when they're trying to make their way back to the truck stop, he rolls his car, and she literally just carries on nagging him at the exact same pitch and cadence as she did before the car <sighs> crashed.
2: Yes, <laughs> thinking he might be dead. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, like I mean, um, yes, yeah, she, she literally is kind of just op- like she's just she's got one setting the entire the entire film, which like like you say is she's a very good actress. So it's a uh, it is it's a bit of a it's it is I think thankless is a good way of describing that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it's probably the right word. Good sequence here as
1: um, Deke, who I believe is the son of the trucker who gets sprayed in the eyes with the diesel.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, because he, um, he gets yeah. he gets pretty unceremoniously squished, and what is an amazing splatter moment
2: oh yeah that's a good one really good sequence
1: when deke escapes and rides his bike through that neighborhood with all the sprinklers going off around him Mm. and uh you just like see this montage of all these people like the person that's been strangled by a hairdryer and the guy who's like lying dead on his on the bench on his porch and it looks like somehow his walkman's responsible
0: yeah and the dog has been killed by a toy police car
2: he's got the he's got the cop car in his mouth (laughs) and he's yeah that I mean, really, there's another movie there outside of that montage, which is amazing. Maybe my favorite thing in the movie. Mm -hmm. There is a whole other movie about that kid because they keep cutting back to him. He doesn't get he doesn't connect with our characters till well past like the hour mark. And the movie that he's in is really, really, really cool and interesting and is really, you know, he doesn't have to say anything. He just drives by it. But like that ice cream truck is really, really cool. He gets chased out by that lawnmower, which looks vicious and apparently was vicious.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I, like, I would probably agree. I would say that in terms of kind of isolated moments, this is the one that I probably got the most out of. Mm-hmm. However, we're kind of getting to the kind of central conceit of this film as the kind of remaining characters get kind of boxed into the Dixie Boy yeah. and are surrounded by basically a convoy of driverless trucks. Connie and Kurt actually got uh, Connie and Curtis kinda got away for a little while. Um, and I th- <laughs> when they get chased by the red truck, I had that written down as them being pursued in a medium speed, medium stakes chase. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when they kind of avoid it and the truck runs off the road and it explodes, that's pretty great.
2: Yeah, you notice as well in this film, there's a lot of trucks creeping up on people. Which... <laughs> it is true, <laughs> people people like not noticing that large motor behind them. It's true. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's just... at this point that they they come back to the Dixie Boy, and it's 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 here that he tries to drive through a gap in the convoy and, and then flips the car. No. no, it goes it goes disastrously. But like I say, she, she's not distressed at all. She just carries on doing exactly what she did. Like she doesn't like. I don't think that the car crashing even breaks her momentum. No, I mean she's. She
0: just functions on that constant level of shrill shrieking for the whole time. So, like, from the minute you see those characters, there isn't really a quiet moment until, like, even at the end when they're escaping, she's still shouting about spiders and rats in the sewers and stuff like that. You're like, just go, just go, shut up.
2: But it does add a manic nature to the film that I think probably goes with the cocaine... (laughs) in his bloodstream it 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 it, like there's a sense of like the movie as like a coked up chatterbox that that she she does she does sort of add to that Mm. feeling i'm not trying i mean i guess that's I'm, i'm supposed to defend it but i i can't go further than that sure
1: I mean, no, that's that's reasonable.
2: We've all been in the company of someone that's
0: cocked out their tits and just tells you all the great ideas, all these things. That you're right, you're absolutely right. It sounds like one of those guys, like that you're stuck beside at a party while they just rabbit on about this this project they've been trying to get off the ground for for years. <laughs> just like, right,
2: yeah, great, yep. great. Can we discuss the a, a possible underlying theme here? Of absolutely people wanting to watch each other in the bathroom or interest in the bathroom. Yeah. Like, can I ah. follow you into the bathroom? Yeah, and then, it, I mean, the, we hear it from the newlyweds. Mm-hmm. He asks her if she can go, he can watch her pee mm-hmm. and she declines it. And he looks legitimately disappointed by that. Mm-hmm. And then later we have our, our, our hero love interest. They they show her sort of stripping next to a nasty toilet and he's like hanging out nearby like that's interesting to him and then later the two guys are tromping through the sewer together like like playing water polo with like pieces of shit like like they're having a good time (laughs) like they're clearly enjoying that there's a little bit of a fetish going on here i'm 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 not gonna shy away from this No, i think it's i think
0: you might be right because there's another scene as well where um there's i think his name's joey he's like the the son of baba Uh, There's a bit where he's doing a shit and Emilio Westervez is talking to him and then he's like... He's
2: hanging over the top of the stall, yeah. He's
0: like kicking him under the door and
2: then like (laughs) leans over to watch him shit. Yes, yes, it's there. I don't know why it's there, but it's there enough to to like to be talked about.
1: I am glad, Andy, that you're not shying away from the things (laughs) about this film that are a little bit on the questionable side. Like <laughs> but but um but yeah I did I did also I did also spot that through line and it made me very uncomfortable. Asking <laughs>
0: the important questions here, Andy Mitton
2: yes we are yeah. um,
1: uh, when I was writing notes I looked down for a second and then when I looked back up the inhabitants of the Dixie Boy were shooting bazookas at uh, the trucks
2: <laughs> yeah. um,
1: cons- 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 Like so I've got like one of those kind of like scene missing intertitles in my head kinda- how did we get there?
0: It's it, as out of the blue as it sounds because the trucks are kind of getting a bit closer they're getting a bit more confident and they're approaching and uh, Bubba he just appears out of nowhere with a bazooka and just starts
2: firing off bazooka shells while cackling like an absolute madman. It's all accurate. I mean, I can't say I was completely disappointed, but yes, it's a left turn. They needed something new in the toolbox. I guess bazookas, you know, it's a good choice in the 80s. That bazooka is
0: the unsung hero of this film. Like, that bazooka Mm -hmm. pretty much takes down every single truck. There's no, like... (laughs) <laughs> uh, apart from a hand grenade, at one point, there is no other
1: <laughs> weapon that gets any of time, really. I, I think that given the amount of explosions that there are in this film, it's very much the sung hero of the film. <laughs> True.
2: Yes. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Yeah, like I say, I think it was at this point that I kind of observed when I was looking around the characters that were in the Dixie Boy, I was like, right, I know you. I know you. Who are you? No. Mm. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, there are a lot of faceless truckers who are just there. And
1: like I say, these are the kind
0: of yahoos who are just enjoying themselves. And then mercifully, they're all wiped out when that machine gun car turns up. It's pretty cool. That's, and, and, that's I, awesome.
1: And I mean, like, like, Andy, you described them as foil. Uh, and I think that probably, like, I am probably in the wrong here for being like i feel like these red shirts are underdeveloped (laughs) i feel like that's my hang-up rather than the film's
2: yeah i mean that's fair but i i i i think that yeah there's no one that's developed successfully in in this film except you know like the 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 developing high of of every day of production clearly like you know but, but i think that's part of the The charm and this I do just constantly feel this clash of that reality going on in the story and and all the logicals of the story and then behind it, you can feel these other minds working like this other crew that's pulling these ridiculous things off at at a level of professionalism it doesn't deserve and I love that collision. I think that's what I'm mm. most interested in in this movie, is like a great shot of a ridiculous thing uh, is 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 interesting.
0: Yeah. And I've always been really fond of that idea of like George Romero being there and just kind of trying to keep things linear while Stephen King just like sweats and taps his legs. And eats sardines apparently.
2: Oh! <laughs> he eats sardines every morning and like every everyone morning? talks about his breath oh. every morning in the morning he would eat sardines and then have sardine breath all day according to reports he must have been between that and the fucking nonsense coke
0: bullshit he must have been an absolute delight
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he, clearly he was functional to some degree because like yearly smith says she didn't even know any of that was going on okay someone on the set so like he was they were to some degree they were making their days or whatever when the trucks weren't breaking down but yeah I, I got to think that the people who were behind the scenes enough to know were providing him the amount of beer at night. I guess it was beers at night, coke during the day, and sardines in the morning. It's the the trifecta. <laughs> ah, the classic diet of the cokehead. Yep.
1: <laughs> Obviously, Bill and Brett find time during all this to have sex, as you mentioned earlier.
0: Oh, uh, it, it happens yeah. around
1: this time. Yeah, can we can what? we just boil down into their
0: relationship a little bit from their first interaction? Which as instant love, she's like, you know, you look like you look a bit like a hero, and then it, they have a little bit more chat, and then it cuts away to like a truck reversing, and then they introduce
2: themselves to one another off camera, which I've always thought was really weird. Oh, I love that the truck, the truck that gets turned on as they're getting turned on, is that what you're talking
0: about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that's what he's doing. That's definitely what he's doing. He's like, they're they're like getting to know each other, and instead of looking at them, we're looking at we're looking at like the various parts of the truck gradually turning on and the motor humming and that feels like one of the ideas that probably was generated by stevie king himself that's actually i am kind of fond of mm. and then, <laughs> then it moves from there to just like loads of kind of furtive of
0: glances and just absolutely frothing sexual tension it's almost like if they didn't fuck it would be more surprising than for them to fuck given the situation
2: it's true it's the other things they do they feed each other cake he eats sweat he rubs the yeah he rubs the sweat off her forehead and licks his fingers yeah gross yeah it gets down to like gross level but it also is and i'm going to do the opposite of defending it at this point but it's also true that in the time period she she's i mean she was stock and not developed let's just face facts but she was also someone who was Uh, presented as having agency and like turning down abusers and standing up for herself and then she just gets totally deflated the moment she you know she goes from being that badass to being like someone who's like you're not only a hero you're a genius like she'd say that to emilio estevez in this movie like she just completely turns into a wet rag yeah
0: yeah. he also
1: he also fucks like a hero apparently Oh yeah, uh-huh. that's 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 an actual line, isn't it?
2: <laughs> As much, it, yeah. It, yes, it is.
1: <laughs> I think it's funny that we see we see this happen a couple of times between now and the end of it. But uh, the waitress from the beginning, Wanda, her sole trait for the rest of this is to scream at the trucks like they're people.
2: Yeah. Oh, so funny. <laughs> She's amazing. She's <laughs> um, totally unhinged, unmotivated monologuing out in the parking lot. I love it.
1: Yeah, like uh yeah she was she was screaming uh uh we made you. Yeah. Adam. <laughs> which uh, which I, th- I think is great. So like uh because she's obviously just astonished that when vehicles turn sentient they betrayed man. <laughs> <laughs> and I I love the fact that when everyone else is kind of in survival mode she finds the time to actually just be actively furious about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it's one it's one of my favourite things, especially when it kind of resurfaces um later. Now we did kind of blow past something, which is that a uh, Bible salesman got kind of, like, shunted into a ditch earlier on. Yeah. yeah. Um, During an altercation with a truck. And when he, like, landed in the ditch, I was like, oh, I guess he's dead. And then, obviously, as it turns out, he isn't. Because Deke, um, the kid, finds him. And he kind of, like, lunges into action and attacks him. Or kind of, like, or at least lunges at him. And I was kind of like, oh, he's not dead. Then I was like, of course he isn't dead. Like, he didn't get run over. He just got, like, jilted off the road into a ditch.
2: Well, that's one of the physics. Pr- the, he uh, he's supposed to get backed into because the truck reverses into him. Yeah. But on the close up where he gets hit, he runs into the back of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so you're so it just makes no sense. And no, there's something there, right? There's some mess on the editing room floor there because even when he comes back to life, they don't have a shot of him. Like they show him grabbing the kid's foot, and they 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 keep showing the kid, and they don't have a reverse on on him lying in the ditch. They clearly. There was something missing there, or something didn't work, or they got caught up and it got cut into illogical ribbons, is how it feels to me. Actually, I remember
0: seeing something in the big list of things that got cut out uh, about this, where uh, apparently the video player guy, so Giancarlo Esposito's character, escapes the Dixie Boy unseen and hides in the drainage ditch, right? And then there's additional seconds of the Bible salesman getting attacked by the video player and his buddy, who attempts to cut off his face with a straight razor, but the two Whoa. run unseen off with his knife because the Bible salesman
2: screams. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There it is.
0: <laughs> so that could explain why he's just like lying there covered in mud when Deke turns up. Yeah. That
2: would go a long way to explaining it. Yeah, oh that's facts.
1: And yeah, that is kind of like a fairly vital missing link in that chain, I think, to be fair. But yeah, like they kinda of, they kinda of hear him shouting from across the way, don't they? Um and they realise that he's still alive.
0: Yeah, they put a lot of stock into rescuing this guy.
2: They do. They do. Wow. They don't they don't like and they come back with someone completely different and they're not really reactive to <laughs> not finding him. Yeah, it's, it's
0: the minute it's, they find that kid they're like, oh well, that one's fine, one's plenty.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, did you rescue him? It's like, no, But we found this other person, it's like, well, it's a person.
2: <laughs> well and in favor of the the obvious fun and good times of crawling through the sewer together <laughs> hey. and the bonding it's bonding it's a it's a male bonding w- w- over some sort of shit fetish sort of story that happens and that's
1: they're la- they're laughing
2: at rats <laughs> and they're laughing at
1: like yeah. Yeah. yeah the shit fetish camaraderie building montage tales all this time
2: <laughs> it splashes up into his face and his mouth and he's dead you know, he's fine. Yeah, It's Every, still funny a few seconds later.
1: Everyone's having a great
0: time. In a couple of days, though, he's going to be in a pretty terrible way <laughs> in terms of uh, that boat is going to be a fairly uninhabitable
1: environment. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, right, we have two new vehicles join the fray uh, in the war against man in the morning here. Uh, one of them is a bulldozer. The other one, is there a word for this thing that's mounted with the machine gun? <laughs>
2: It must be a word, but I don't know what it is. Cause it's like, cause
1: it's just, it's it's basically just like a little motorized cart with a machine gun attached to it, right?
2: It would normally have a a soldier kind of up, yeah, running the gun, yeah, manning just, it, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So it becomes an unmanned, like machine gun that's mobilized and can speak in Morse code.
1: I didn't see the Morse code thing coming, and I thought that it was hilarious and genius.
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing no this whole next section of the movie is my favorite thing i mean i love i mean a day of pumping gas exhausts these people more than like shackleton's trip to the south Pole. this is like they are they are destroyed by the pumping of gas like they cannot walk these yeah. heroes yeah. is like he, he's like a hollow-eyed zombie it's great it's so i mean i love it so much i shouldn't it, love i mean it's but it is Full on, full tilt boogie, ridiculous! How much it kills them!
1: It is, it, it's, it's, it's hilarious because I, I remember thinking because obviously, like at this point, just again, just to ground this for the benefit of people who haven't seen this. Yeah, the kind of a uh, so, so the kind of the bulldozer gets blown up right after because because it, it pushes uh, Bubba's car through the shop front. So yep. he kind of freaks out and blows it up with his trusty bazooka. But yep. then, uh, yeah, the spokesperson for the sentient. Vehicles is this gun truck because it's got a horn that can communicate in Morse code.
0: Well, the, that machine gun, by uh, as soon, pretty much as soon as that bulldozer smashes through the front, it shoots everybody <laughs> to pieces. So it's it showed its intent, and now it's willing to bargain.
1: Aha, uh-huh. It's a power, It's a power move, and we and we and we do lose the hysterical waitress uh, Wanda at this point, but not Tragic. before she once again soliloquizes about the scale of the betrayal that's happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: my favourite bit about the uh, the montage of filling up. It's Estevez's breakdown when like they run out of gas, and he's like, well guys, that's it, it's over, we fulfilled our part of the deal, and then that tanker comes, and he kinda just falls to his knees,
1: bereft. <laughs>
2: They use the entire song of Hell's Bells, I'm pretty sure, yes. for that sequence. <laughs> yes. I think it plays straight through. It's crazy. I,
1: they, re- they really get their money's worth on that one. Because, yeah, basically, like, the, the machine gun turret instructs that what has to happen is that they've effectively come full circle and been enslaved by machines. They have to, like, pump gas in exchange for their lives, basically.
0: It's really handy that Deke got his merit badge and moss
2: code. That's <laughs> true. And very good at the transcription there, very fast yeah very, very fast young man
1: uh, uh, but like uh, you're right that is extremely fortunate because if because if that hadn't happened then uh his de- like the machine gun trucks declaration of the grand plan would not have gotten a plan like even remotely it would yeah. have
0: been just a maddening horn that would have driven them crazy over time
2: yeah. yeah well he he might be the deepest character in there this is after <laughs> all the young man who like the morning after learning of his father's violent and untimely death is sort of whimsically blowing bubbles when you morning. said there yeah
0: that uh it might be the deepest character in this i thought you were referring to the machine gun car no i
2: might have been right <laughs> <laughs> Thank you about that you're right oh, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See when I'm, uh, when like you say, after a day of like what I assume to be a day of pumping gas, and everyone is absolutely exhausted. It's at this point that um, Bill posits the extraordinary theory that the comet referred to in the opening crawl is a cosmic broom utilized by aliens to weaponize machines against man so they can be exterminated and aliens can repopulate the Earth. This is a stretch to say the least of it. Is
0: it though? Because the the final text card that comes up pretty much nails that.
1: I'm not suggesting that he's wrong I just think it's an incredible amount of dots to connect with the evidence that was in front of him
2: at the time (laughs) Yes, he didn't have to go there. He hadn't seen the postscript yet So... (laughs) it could have been simpler than that i'm pretty sure
1: like this i think if i was in that situation and somebody came at me with that i'd be like wow that's extraordinarily detailed <laughs> <laughs> however i one out for the machine gun trailer uh because bill uh wrong foots it and uh sneaks a grenade up onto its carriage and blows it up i was sorry to see it go uh <laughs> i thought that it was an interesting. Uh, I thought it was an interesting third act character.
2: Well, it it brings into focus something that's been in play the whole movie, but they haven't really unpacked it all, which is that there is a a sort of arc to the, the, I don't want to give it as much credit as to say an arc, my God, but like there's a, there's a reasoning behind the people that the machines choose to kill. Usually I think at the beginning, it's just sort of like trying things out. I'll spray gas in the eyes of like a, someone who seems like a good guy or, or, Carve up the arm of a of a waitress who's not a bad person, but after that, it seems to get angry when shitty people, the shittiest people, in the truck stop are acting the shittiest and and take them out. And so this gun truck comes up and clearly develops a sort of like rapport with Emilio, like he's into Emilio and he trusts him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then and then he gets he gets deceived by him. But like there is a moral judgment going on here that's strange and sort of untrackable, but it's definitely in the movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah kind of like they kind of learn morality <laughs>
2: they, they do just in time to be bazooka
1: can i ask <laughs> why the trucks wait so
2: long to destroy this place oh it's the i mean there's so there's a line somewhere tucked in there in the craziness where they're all dealing with yeah i don't know, the third act stuff we're getting that stuff going where they talk about how the the new the arrival of the new vehicles is partly somehow because if the other trucks rammed into the the truck stop they would cave through to the basement or something they're like the foundation won't hold their weight right. there's some ridiculous line just kind of tossed in and then they have them all do it anyway at the end they all prove that they can indeed ram yeah. straight into the truck stop and could have at any point because it just becomes like wanton destruction at this point it does
1: it's a great it's, it's, it's all great though
2: the the ending just becomes like what do we have left to blow up and fire bazookas at and and you get to see the kids shoot up a drive through in his uh, in daddy's name. That drive through is so
0: funny. <laughs> like that that drive through is one of my favorite characters. it's <laughs> kind of panicked. Ah, there's humans here. Humans. There's humans here.
2: <laughs> they have lines that are like, what's that one? Jesus is coming and he is pissed. I mean, they're just throwing out whatever. Adios, motherfucker becomes like the the final like. Torch line of the Green Goblin truck. <laughs> I love that truck, by the way. Oh, I love yeah. the. I, lo- I I mean that I didn't know it was Green Goblin based when I was a kid because that wasn't really in my, uh, in, in you know in my head at the time. But I, it just, I mean, it looks great. The trucks in general, like the characters, the trucks as characters, the garbage truck, and all the different vehicles that show up, I think, are really well done.
1: Yeah. But yeah, the Green Goblin truck kind of installs itself as the final boss in this thing. In as much as it is the last truck to get blown up, it doesn't put up that much more of a fight than any of the others. It just happens to be last.
0: There's only so much a truck can do in the face of a bazooka. This is true.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm, limited resources. But um, but the Green Goblin truck is eventually blown up by Bill? Um, <laughs> also, while this was on, I was reading along the Wikipedia plot synopsis, as I sometimes do, just to make sure that I'm keeping all the events straight in my head. And um, they said that uh, on the way to the docks, because obviously once they flee the uh, Dixie boy, they head for the docks to get on to get on a boat to escape.
0: Worth mentioning, they're going to a place called Haven, where there are no
1: cars. Yes, that's right. But in the play of the Watson offices, it's like, on the journey, Brad dies. And I was like, who is Brad? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I I still don't know who is Brad.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know who Brad is, but I am not invested in his fate. He's the guy that no. gets
0: uh, smushed by the Green Goblin v- uh, truck right before it gets blown up. He, I,
1: I, again it sneaks up
2: on him. That's right, that's right, that's right. You know the one character's name I really thought I'd learned as a kid was, there's a character who, I, th- I think he's a mechanic who works there and he's kind of a badass and I thought his name was Andy it turns out his name is handy oh, yeah. with an h yeah and i was so happy that there was like an andy in a film maybe andy stewart you you can you, you can feel me on this andy's are sort of um andy's in movies don't have a good track record in fact you know we're usually like like the 40 year old virgin is andy yeah that's usually that's a that's a pretty good that's usually how we're used or it's ironic like like in peewee's big adventure like this huge strong guy is ironically named andy
0: for me but, the biggest andy when i was growing up was the female girlfriend of josh brolin's character in the goonies
2: yes totally
0: like, that was the totally. only andy i was aware of when it was a girl
2: that's right there wasn't a lot to hang your hat on you know as as an andy until it was really stephen king the, the the best andy in movies probably is andy dufresne in the Shawshank redemption in terms of an Andy not, not being ironically a hero, mm-hmm. but actually being a strong character. And I thought I had another example here. Turns out, no, it's yeah. handy. Played mm. by
0: Frankie Fuson, by the way, from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh,
2: right. He's the guard, isn't
0: he? Yeah, yeah.
1: I feel like you guys are getting stuck into an experience that is very much your own that I can't speak to.
0: <laughs> We've talked on the show before, Mitch, about Mitch's in film.
2: Yeah, You've had your Mitch time for God's sake.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's time to step aside, wind your neck and Bane. It's time to give the Andes a moment to shine. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the survivors do escape onto a boat and sail off into the sunset. And we are informed, um, on a closing kind of uh, info uh, infographic, I was gonna say, <laughs> um, that um, a UFA, uh, UFA, a UFO. <laughs> was uh, discreetly blown up by a Russian weather uh, satellite that just so happened to be uh, packing a lot of heavy artillery. Um, And then the Earth passed through the comet and everything basically went back to normal.
0: Yeah, and the survivors are still surviving.
2: They are. Still flinging shit and feeding each other cake and God knows what else. Licking each other's fucking sweat. Yes,
1: they are. Fucking like heroes. (laughs) (laughs) And... um... With that, we're out on Maximum Overdrive. Uh, Andy Stewart, your take on this? Uh,
0: I I, I was really over the moon when Andy suggested we do this. Uh, As you know, Mitch, I couldn't have been more happy when this was floated as the the film that we would cover for this episode. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like it. I've seen it a bunch of times. It was really good to go back to it. And it is every bit as overblown and preposterous as you hope it would be but also kind of weirdly doesn't go quite as far as it could or should because maybe because it was so heavily edited uh it leaves a lot of questions and a lot of plot holes that are just kind of discarded but it's still a fucking hoot
1: yeah i kind of largely agree i think that this film does an awful lot at the beginning an awful lot at the end and something in the middle like i feel like <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, Because there's like an incredible like, rapid-fire um, establishing of the machines attacking humans, and it sets up the stakes. And then I kind of feel like there's a while where there's not a massive amount for it to do, apart from to kind of get from me to be and get us to where we need to be for um, the kind of standoffs, if you like, that come later. Like, the whole thing of the Bible salesman, the mission to rescue him feels like padding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. even though it does kind of introduce deke into the group and stuff like that but i mean like for all that for as much as i identified some points where i felt like the momentum sagged a little bit like it never stops being entertaining like i don't feel like it stops for breath for long enough for you to really feel like it starts dragging its heels either um and there's enough stuff going on here that is really fun like um like i say the scene that we talked about at the beginning when deke drives through the neighborhood with all the dead people in it and um the particularly the kind of like trashing of the Dixie Boy near the end. This has got this has got plenty going for it. This is a good time. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good pick.
0: And the opening, like we said, the opening set piece is, is absolutely brilliant. That, the one on the bridge.
1: Yeah, I th- I th- it tries quite a lot of ambitious stuff that I think it mostly gets right, like, considering it sounds like the actual production was. Well, I mean,
0: I think it had a ten pre-thought. million
1: dollar budget.
2: Really?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And they were filming next door to Blue Velvet. Really. They were. They were like they. They were cast members. so they would go. They would have lunch with like Lord Dern, <laughs> because he was he was producing that as well. So that must have just added to the surreal nature of <laughs> everything.
1: He just got it just got up in the morning and had sardines with Lord of Dern. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: less well, a Stephen King for that. I wish I didn't. I wish she hadn't told me that.
2: This the sardines. Well, you know, at, at, at least he owns all his past mistakes, including this one, and and. Uh, I mean, I think that's part of why I love this movie. Is I, I it partly, you know, the fact that I chose it right as I was coming back from being on a film set. I think influenced it because there's a, I don't, there's there's just something. I I when I watch it now, I think about what I know of the story. I think about how every time he tried to block a shot, he had to have it translated to to an entire Italian crew, who then would go and kind of do their own thing and and kind of try and pull this off i i mean there there is an account actually that that i read that said stephen king sort of lost interest in the movie before they started shooting it because he couldn't get bruce springsteen in the lead
0: yeah i had that as well yeah, <laughs> that, he, that he wanted Bruce yeah. springsteen
2: yeah and there are people who think like as soon as he knew it wasn't going to be bruce springsteen he was like there was some part of him that was like i don't want to do it <laughs> like it was some like you know the little boy in him that came out to make it like wasn't as psyched and i think that there were a lot of people who had to pick up the slack to make the days. And, and, I, and I love that. That professionalism applied to ridiculousness, again, is just like a fascination for me, I think. And it, it's never, that sort of unfortunate alchemy is never maybe better than Maximum Overdrive. That's
1: uh, that's, a, that's a great fact. I love that. Andy, before we finish up, I want to talk a little bit about your own work. Now, I came across your stuff initially at Celluloid Screams when I saw uh, We Go On. I
0: mm. saw Yellow Brick Road way before that. Um, and by the way, I still consider the sound design in Yellow Brick Road to be some of the most unsettling that I've ever heard. That made me very uncomfortable.
2: Oh yeah, thank you. That's yeah, that's that's one of the things that holds up for me in that movie. Is we <laughs> had a really good time uh, doing the sound.
1: And yeah, we, well, we go on. And The Witch and the Window are both available on Shutter uh on the side of the atlantic you want to just uh you want to just talk quickly about those two films
2: sure yeah we go on is is a uh, is about a man who's uh kind of suffocated by his fear of death and puts out a an advertisement offering a reward money to anyone who can prove to him the existence of life after death and it sends him on sort of a wild adventure through uh the underbelly belly of los angeles and meeting various characters and becomes sort of a uh, careful what you wish for mm. Uh, supernatural tale, and uh, that was a, the, a a movie I I wrote the screenplay for and directed alongside Jesse Holland, who I also uh, made um, Gilbert Road with, and then Witch in the Window was my first solo directorial film, which is uh, follows a, a father and his estranged son as they fix up a house uh, in rural Vermont and run into uh, the. Um, malevolent spirit of uh, an old inhabitant of that house named Lydia and sort of entwines a ghost story with an exploration of uh, parental fears and the sort of existential dread of the world we're in currently. Both excellent by the way.
1: Yeah um, I I had a really great festival experience with uh, We Go On Um, I think it was maybe the first year that I went to Siloid Screams and I think it was like screening quite early in a day and um, I think I remember I think it was maybe like the second film of five in a day or something like that and it's just one of those things where like when something ends and you're just kind of excited to talk about it because you know that everybody's going to have dug it as much as you did and um, uh, yeah I, I like I remember that being kind of like one of my standouts from that year and yeah both of those films so uh, we go on and uh, The Witch in the Window both available in Shutter and Yellow Brick Road on Amazon Prime That's in right. Okay. so yeah so, uh, so loads of opportunities for people to go and uh, check those out and uh, we did mention at the top of the show but uh, you've also just wrapped uh, The Harbinger do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure it's like I haven't talked about it at all I haven't I don't know what like how to talk about it exactly yet but I can say that um, uh, it's a story that takes place in our time it's it's, I wrote I I didn't start writing this movie until late July of last year so it's been a very very fast gestation and um, so it's 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 sort of written in our current time during the pandemic but isn't kind of on the nose about it it is about someone who leaves their family uh, bubble to help a friend who's um, struggling with nightmares and and specifically not being able to wake up from them, and it, it becomes a movie very much about um, being stuck in a nightmare, uh, figuratively and literally, the way we all sort of have been. And yeah, I, yeah, I mean, this is sort of like Nightmare on Elm Street by way of Jacob's Ladder. Ooh, okay. <laughs> you can make any like Jacob's Ladder was my touchstone tonally for it because I it, it was a departure. I've done two ghost stories and it's i'm moving back into my other favorite corner of horror which is the sort of demonic slightly more of a mind fuck kind of realm mm-hmm. with this one um, hopefully taking what i've learned and and reapplying it to that area with with success i'm i'm really excited about it i had a great like it was a it was a crazy adventure shooting during this time um, you know it's one thing to do it with a like a big studio right now but to shoot an indie and safely with all the provisions in place and everything else was like was it was quite a feat um and it t- t- like took it out of everybody but uh it was also uh, a really felt like a really successful shoot i'm compulsively editing right now and uh really can't wait to share it
0: amazing that, that sounds brilliant like the, as far as an elevator pitch goes like that one works for me yes Good.
2: <laughs> same same
1: andy this has been great uh we really appreciate you taking the time to come and do this with us where can people keep up with you uh social media wise
2: uh, Twitter is probably where I'm most active. I'm just at at Andy Mitten uh, on Twitter, and um, yeah, that's 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 probably my main home. I have an Instagram page, but I I don't I don't frequent it. I'm trying to get better. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: cool. Uh, Andy. Thanks so much. It's been great. Thank you. For Thank you. This one. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much, Mitch and Andy. It's it's been it's nothing but uh, it's just been a real pleasure uh, getting to talk to you. I'm a fan of what you guys do, and I and I oh. do honestly appreciate the the support you know uh, uh, and the helping to shine spotlights on on the indie side of, of the horror world and filmmakers like myself um it does a lot of good in our community and i appreciate it oh thanks so much oh, thank that's, you man
1: that's
0: that's, that's nice, nice. thank you
2: what
1: a nice man That was absolutely lovely. That was a smash Wasn't wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, big thank you to Andy Mitten, director of Yellow Brick Road. We go on The Witch in the Window and The Harbinger joining us this week and talking Maximum Overdrive.
0: Yeah, so, Mitch. Yeah. Pretty decent news today. It looks like we might be getting close to coming out of a lockdown.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not taking anything for granted on that one, but yeah, nice to see some uh, nice to see some lines in the sand. Yeah, um, pretty, for Scotland. Pretty, pretty uh, coming exciting. Out today.
0: Maybe we can be in the same room pretty soon.
1: Oh, could you imagine? Wouldn't yeah. that be nice? I'm like, I'm really looking forward to the first time that we record a minisode in the same room. Yeah, I'm never gonna let you go. Uh, it's like it's gonna start out being nice, and we'll just quickly escalate into a misery situation. <laughs> However, we are done for now and we will not be in the same room on Monday, but we will be back in your feeds with another mini-sode. Of course we will, of course we will. Lots of good stuff incoming there, we'll be talking about what we've been watching. I've got a couple of things already. Oh, really? Um, yeah, uh, a couple of things that I've mentioned when they've cropped up on the streaming platforms that I've kind of made time to catch up with, so I'll be getting into those. Uh, needless to say, also, we will be taking a look at nature and how wild it gets.
0: <laughs> I've got to be honest, Mitch, I don't know how much longer I can tolerate this.
1: You know what? You've given it a good run. I think that if you wanted to start looking at a way, at like a kind of like a timescale for wrapping it up, I wouldn't judge you.
0: Right. Okay. Well, i will con—I'll consider that. I'll consider it because
1: yeah, it's—it's—I don't see it getting any easier. Ah uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I did. Yeah, I think that you kind of made a rod for your own back with the category choice. In all honesty, but I respect <laughs> it. And I think that you've given it a good run. And also, I think that like knowing when to end it is good because remember the ordeal that was my '90s side quest?
0: Yeah, yeah. Although I still feel like you uh, ended that far too soon.
1: Or oh, do you think so? I do think so. Yeah. The problem was that it peaked at the graveyard story. There was no, there was, there was no improving on it. It attained perfection. <laughs> But if you want to get in touch with us between now and Monday, you can do that through all the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet Strong Violent PC and you can email scenes at gmail.com. Don't forget also, we do have a Facebook group, The Chud Locker. If you search Strong Language Violent Scenes The Chud Locker, you'll be stunned to learn that's the only thing that comes up.
0: Yeah, and we've got a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes check it out
1: we're back on Monday though with a mini so join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chants goodbye bye you've been listening to strong language and violent scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bane. strong language and violent scenes theme by Mitch Bain production and artwork by Andy Stewart find us on Stitcher iTunes Spotify Google Podcasts and Podbean